Hey everybody, it is Mike Petralia, Trags, back with another episode of the Jungle Roar podcast on the Jungle Roar podcast YouTube channel. It is my pleasure to welcome back an old friend from the, yes, CLNS days. <laughs> Alum. Back in New England, the one and only Evan Lazar, now having moved on to Patriots.com. You can follow Evan on Twitter at E.Z. Lazar. See, I remembered, Evan. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that is all one word. E.Z. Lazar. Uh, Evan does a great job not only uh, following the Patriots uh, on Twitter and covering the Patriots on Twitter, I should say, but he also has Patriots Catch 22 at Patriots.com. Uh, it is my pleasure to welcome back the one and only Evan Lazar. Good to see you again, my friend. It's good to see you as well. This is going to be a fun weekend for us. It's the Trags Bowl. I'm very <laughs> much looking forward to it. And I, I can't wait to see you in the in the press box at Gillette again on Saturday. That's going to be very nostalgic for me and, and for Alex, and I'm sure for you as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It is going to be a lot of fun. The Alex, of course, that Evan Lazar is referring to is the one only, one and only Alex Barth. So I'll catch up with him. He does... Great job covering all things Boston sports for 98.5, the sports hub. All right, Evan, what the hell happened Sunday in Vegas? What happens in Vegas is not staying in Vegas. No, and I think this actually starts with the Raiders. Actually, I think this actually starts with the Patriots' last offensive possession before the possession that we all are talking about, right? Where right. we had the football with a little bit over two minutes to go, and it's third and 10 and the Patriots decide to run a naked bootleg with Mac Jones. And they try to sneak him out the backside of the formation. And when I watch the play back on, on the film, the interesting thing is, is that they're on the left hash. So they had no choice, but to run the naked to Max Crosby's side of the field. And if they had been on the other hash, and it was to Chandler Jones's side of the field, then I think that Chandler Jones would have been more prone to take the cheese than Max Crosby was. And unfortunately, Max Crosby makes a good play. Right. He sees it coming, reverses field, and then it's a race to the corner versus Mac Jones. And I think we all know who's going to win that race. So Max Crosby tackles him for a short gain, and that causes the Patriots to then punt the football back to the Raiders. And at that point, I think, in the one hand, you look the Patriots, at Patriots, by the way, are up 24-17 at that point. Right. So if they get a first down, the game is over. The game is over, effectively. And I think at that point, in my head, I'm thinking, you know what? The bootleg was actually, it could have tricked them, right? You could see how they would have thought that the last thing that the Patriots would do would be to put the ball in Mac Jones's hands to have him run with it. And, and they could have tricked them. But at the same time, your quarterback that runs like a 4-7 or a 4-8 trying to win the race to the corner against a defender just really isn't – it's probably not the best way to try to pick up a first down there. So they basically waved the white flag on third down. They put the football back to the Raiders. And then I thought for the first 40-ish yards of the Raiders drive – they went into sort of like a prevent mode, right? Where they're playing off coverage on the outside and cover three mostly. And they're just kind of backing off and giving them the yards underneath. And 
like so many teams have done all year. And I think that this is a big problem, uh, Trags, and I'm sure you've seen it in some of your games. I think this is a big problem all around the league is getting stops in these two-minute drills at the end of yes. games where teams are just way too lackadaisical with what they're calling defensively. And all of a sudden it becomes second and 10 from the 30 yard line. And all it is is one shot to the end zone and it's a tie game. Now, was he in bounds? Was he not in bounds? I mean, that's, that's not here nor there, honestly, at this point, but they didn't really get aggressive with their defensive play call until the Raiders were already in Patriots territory, which at that point it was, it felt like it was almost too late. Right. And, and if that touchdown had been overturned, the Raiders still had two downs left in that possession. Right. And that's sort of why, as much as I want to blame the refs for the call, uh, that's, that's why I come back to, I'm not sure the Patriots defense is stopping them anyways, right? You got two more cracks at it with Devonte Adams and Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and Josh Jacobs. Like I, I still think they might score. So the call that they made on the, on the touchdown was a call that they had made earlier in the game. And it's a three cloud coverage, uh, which means that instead of pr- traditional cover three, it shades over to one side of the field and the side of the field that it obviously was shading over to was Devontae Adams' side of the field. So they have a corner underneath Devontae Adams in the trail position, and they have a safety over the top. So they're basically high-lowing Devontae Adams on that side of the field to force the football elsewhere. But what happens is is it creates one-on-one matchups everywhere else, right? Everywhere else is one-on-one. And I think that this is another problem that the Patriots have been having, which kind of spins it forward to the Bengals game on Saturday. Which is what... Every Bengal fan wants to know with T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, both healthy. And of course, Jamar Chase being Jamar Chase, how in the world are the Patriots going to go about given what you just described going about, go about defending the Bengals star receivers. Right. And, And this, I think is a great spin forward for that because this to me, and we've had this argument on our shows on Patriots.com, uh, me and Paul Perillo getting into it, because Perillo, when they came off the Minnesota game, was like, Justin Jefferson dominated that game. Like, they couldn't take him out. What are we talking about? And I was like, I actually thought that the other guys hurt them more than Justin Jefferson, because as good as Jefferson was in that game, he had two big catches in, in that game. And I thought the Patriots really overreacted to Justin Jefferson and all all of a sudden that you've got two or three guys running to Justin Jefferson and it's leaving Jalen Mills one-on-one with Adam Thielen with 30 yards of space for the two guys to work with. And you're like, wait a second, you know, where's the help? Where's anybody else? And everybody else is all the way over here covering Justin Jefferson. So on the last uh, Raiders offensive play of the game, they – run this three cloud coverage that had worked earlier in the game. They high low Devonte Adams and Keelan Cole is one-on-one with Marcus Jones on the other side of the field with no help, right? It's just one-on-one Island coverage. And unfortunately, as good as Marcus Jones has been in it, and this is what stinks. I think about how the game ended is that all the players involved in the ending uh, have been great for the Patriots this yes. year. Marcus Jones, uh, Jacoby Myers, or Mondre Stevenson. These are some of their best players no question. this season. 
and Marcus Jones gets beat at the catch point, inbounds, out of bounds, whatever. And this is the one thing is he's five, seven, right? Maybe five, eight on a good day. And so if you throw these balls up in, in the coverage, you know, he's not going to win jump balls. It's just not his skill set. And because they have to play him on the outside because Jalen Mills and Jack Jones are injured, they have no choice but to put a 5'8 corner, 5'7 corner on one side. And on the other side, Jonathan Jones is 5'7", 5'8". So they have two very small corners. And Miles Bryant in the slot is small as well. So they have, they're have they playing three small corners. And that, to me, I think is the biggest thing that I look at with this matchup with the Bengals is that if Jalen Mills and Jack Jones are not back for this game, then they're going to be running three corners that are under five foot eight out there against T Higgins and Jamar chase, which is obviously a gigantic mismatch down the field at the catch point. And that I think is my biggest concern about this game and about the Patriots moving forward is I have some confidence. Just they, they held Devonte Adams to four catches for 28 yards. He was a non-factor basically for this entire game. So I have confidence that they're going to maybe have something ready for Jamar chase and be able to take him out of the game for the most part. But how do they take a T Higgins out of this game? Right. How do they take Tyler Boyd out of this game and take Jamar chase out of the game? I don't know if they have the horses to do all of that uh, specifically you look at in the past that uh, they've had number one corners, right? They've had Stefan right. Gilmore. They've had Darrell Revis and those guys could go out and take a Jamar chase one-on-one for periods of time. I, they just don't have that guy right now. And, and they did better against Adams. I would say Marcus Jones had a great pass breakup down the field early on in that game. Jonathan Jones had him a few times in single coverage. It wasn't all double teams and safeties over the top and stuff like that. It, it wasn't, but it, it was a lot of calculated knowing where he is in zone, knowing where he, uh, the help needs to be in man and stuff like that to basically force the football elsewhere. Nobody breaks down film like you do. Nobody and nobody breaks down the X's and O's like you do. Let's go to the other side of the ball. Speaking with yeah. Evan Lazar of Patriots.com. Follow him on Twitter at EZLazar, all one word. All right. Mac Jones, I think a lot of Bengals fans from the outside want to know if this kid is mentally tough, if he's got the acumen, um, you know, the mental fortitude, if you will, to handle a full-time starting job as quarterback in the National Football League. Because from the outside, we see a lot of the the whining, the yelling, the frustration with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, whoever is calling the offense up, of course, that's Matt Patricia. But we all want to know from the outside, looking into New England, is Mac Jones the guy in New England going forward? It's a great question. And part of me wants to say that it's undecided or unknown because <clears throat> of the staff and the hand he was dealt this year is such a mess. It's You want to compare it to like Trevor Lawrence last year or – Justin Fields for the first, you know, 15 games, 16 games of his career. It's, it's been a disaster here in new England from a a coaching standpoint. And I think the final play of the game, which I realized that I I didn't actually get to because I talked about all the other stuff, the, the final play of the game, I wish I could sit here, Trags and say, 
that's a one-off. Like we were talking about the Miami miracle before we we hit record. The Miami miracle felt like a one-off, right? Where right. Miami had a great play, great hook and ladder design. They caught the Patriots with Rob Gronkowski thinking Hail Mary instead of a, a hook and ladder. And they ran a great play and, and they, they finished it off. This was entirely self-inflicted. It was a complete mental and just total complete disaster and i still it's tuesday it's been two days since the game and alex and i are still texting back and forth like like how did that just happen you know i have a theory let me jump in here yeah and i heard somebody else espouse this on 98.5 sports hub i think it was uh big jim murray i'm not i'm not sure but i think Ramondre Stevenson gets down the field 25 yards and, and and the thought goes through his mind. Oh no, we've got a chance here to make something crazy and special happen because God knows the offense as it is, isn't working efficiently. It's not uh, working. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The way an NFL offense should work. It's just right. the, the Patriots are not doing things that normal NFL offenses do. So here's a chance in a one-off to make a crazy play work. Here, uh, Jacoby, you uh, find somebody to throw the ball to. Throw it, it, it. Just create something to win the game on the last play because there's no confidence in the offense that once they get to overtime, they're going to be able to do anything. And I think yeah. there's legitimacy to that theory. Yeah, I think that that there's definitely a place for that. And the only other logical explanation that I can come up with, and I was in the scrum after the game with Jacoby Myers, and I plan on saying this on our air later, that it was, I I give him all the credit in the world for standing there and answering the questions and taking full accountability and responsibility and with tears in his eyes, with tears in his eyes, probably the worst day of his life is, you know, what I would imagine it, it was. And he stood there and, and answered questions about it. And I asked him and I looked him right in the eye when I asked him, because I, I wanted to see if he was lying. And I asked him, did you know the score was tied? Did you, because the right. only other explanation I can come up with is that they thought for some reason he thought that they were losing. And then the hook and ladders and the laterals and all that stuff makes more sense, right? Right. And, and or your theory, which is that they thought the best way to to win the game at that point was to go play, you know, playground, lateral, whatever you want to call it, and and try to make something happen. And he said that he was he was trying to be a hero. He was trying to be a hero. Now, the only way that I can fathom that theory is if he was throwing the football back to somebody other than Mac Jones, right? If they had, and this is getting crazy, but if they had a a play design where he's throwing the football back to Marcus Jones, or he's throwing the football back to Ramondre Stevenson or somebody that can actually do something with it once they get it, then I could say, okay, maybe they thought, Here's a former quarterback in high school that can throw the football. We're going to have him throw it across the field to a wide open guy because the defense is never going to expect it. And the guy's going to then take it 50 yards to that. Like it's not logical, but at least it's, 
a better explanation as to what than what actually happened. But I wish I could sit here and say that this was a one-off and this was just a player making a, a dumb play and, and we can just write it off as such. But this is a buildup and a microcosm of a broken offense. This has been yes. an offense that has had mental miscues, not on this scale, obviously, but has had mental miscues all year long. You know, pre-snap penalties, uh, dumb situational football where it's a two-minute drill and guys aren't running out of bounds to preserve clock or Mac Jones is taking sacks in the middle of the field to burn timeouts, red zone, goal line sequencing like in earlier in the game uh, where they call a timeout, wipes out a touchdown, they fall start, wipes out a touchdown. Like this is what's been going on all season long with the Patriots. They have not offensively, they have been horrible on the details, horrible in the margins. And you actually look at this game, they rush for over 200 yards. They move the ball decently well at times. The passing game was horrible, but the passing game was horrible because of route spacing, poor third down play calling, just in general details, right? Right. Just being good at scheming it up. And that's what I wrote in my film review uh, today or yesterday was that on third down, uh, the Raiders knew they knew what was coming and they, the Patriots, when they ran their routes, the, their routes are being run directly into defenders, right? Defenders are just sitting there waiting for these routes and there's no other, there's nothing to counter off of it. There's no other answer for it. So as much as I thought Mac Jones's accuracy in this game, especially in the first half was off, a lot of the reason why he had basically career lows across the board and completion percentage and, and yards other than that win game last year in Buffalo was because he's going back to pass and their receivers are just running directly into defenders leverage or help. And there's just no place to go with the football. And this is against a Raiders secondary that's dead last in the league in most passing categories. So this is a horrible pass defense that they can't move the football on. So like I said, as much as I want to write this off and say that this is a, a freak one-off play, this was a buildup of 14 weeks of ineptitude on offense manifesting itself in probably the worst play you'll ever see. And, and that this is exactly, they had this coming. Like this is exactly yes, what they yes. get for putting the players in this position. Okay. And everybody on the outside also wants to know is Matt Patricia a one and done in New England. Cause for all the world, it, it feels like he's going to be one and done and he's not going to get another chance in New England. Either Bill's going to recognize it first or Bill's going to be told by the crafts, Matt Patricia cannot come back as offensive coordinator in 2023. Yeah, I want to, you mentioned Mac and his emotions too. I, you know, this is something that goes back to Alabama when Nick Saban used to call him Mac and Row because he used <laughs> to have these, you know, explosive moments in yes. practice where he would just blow his head off. And, and I think that, that there is merit to that, that he has got, it's a shit hand. Right. Matt Patricia's bad at his job. The offense is an absolute mess. It's a crap hand, but he's got to learn to manage his emotions better. And there's no doubt about that. And when it comes to Matt Patricia, I think it's more the second one, honestly, because I think for Bill, 
he's he can talk himself into it was his first year on the job nobody's good at running calling plays and coordinating a side of the football in year in year one and it takes most people multiple seasons to learn it and get good at it and we're going to give him time to develop in the role like I could see that being something that he believes maybe they go out and get him some help with a veteran offensive coach coaching the offensive line or coaching quarterbacks or something like that to kind of help him but I, I think the main thing is is what you pointed to with the crafts and now that I am on the inside, as they say, you sort of feel this a little bit more in my position than maybe you do uh, as a standard beat writer. And that is from a marketing and a likability standpoint, the team is unwatchable. The team is unwatchable. And at some point in time, I think the crafts, uh, Mr. Kraft, he mentioned at the owners meetings last year that they haven't won a playoff game since 2018. And that really bugs him. Now we're going to go on another year, most likely unless some amazing, you know, fortune happens for the Patriots where they're probably going to miss the playoffs. And I think that at some point in time, I don't know if, I don't think we're at bill yet. Right. I don't think we're, we're there yet for the crafts, but I do think that they're going to look at bill and say, this didn't work. And there's going to be a little bit of feet to the fire of we need a real offensive coordinator. Uh, I would say they probably need another offensive coach on the staff that has experience that has um, some knowledge on that side of the football as well. And Matt is going to go back to the role he was in last year as that like Mike Lombardi quality control special projects role where he's out of the public eye. So I think that that's going to be, a mandate from the crafts. I, I I do. How Bill reacts to that is going to be interesting, but I, I think that it's going to be a mandate. And my hope is, is that once they have that conversation, Bill is like, you know what? You're right. Like you, I, I already knew this, but you, you know, saying this to me and, and, and giving it out, you know, laying it out like this, this is, this is what we got to do. Like you're, okay. you're right. Okay. You, know as well as anybody that one thing Bill Belichick has been a master of over the years is going up against brilliant quarterbacks and winning the chess battle. I want to get from your perspective what impresses you so much about Joe Burrow and how Bill Belichick might approach him. Well, I think what impressed me so much about him, and I've said this in the past, that I truly believe from a physical tool standpoint, I know some of your Bengals fans are going to hear this and and grab the pitchforks, but I think from a physical tool standpoint that Mac Jones and Joe Burrow are not that far off, right? Like in terms of arm strength, athleticism and all that kind of stuff. But what I think Joe Burrow has, and it goes back to you pointing out that Mac is lost his cool a couple of times, more than a couple of times over the last, you know, two or three weeks, month or so here is that, that coolness, right? Like that, that confidence that, um, you know, mental composure Composure on the field, no matter. So when people have asked me, Evan, the the Tom Brady, who obviously we just saw in Tampa, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow comparison. When they ask me, what's, what does Joe Burrow do that reminds you of Tom Brady? My immediate answer is the way he handles pressure situations in the fourth quarter. It's remarkable to me how similar they are. And that's what you don't see with Mac Jones. 
Right. And I think with Joe Burrow, he is Joe Cool. He is not going to let the moment impact his decision-making on the field. Right. And that is, a, a for a quarterback, that's a monumentous thing, right? Like, that's a gigantic thing for a quarterback. And when I watch Burrow and I watch this entire Bengals offense, I, I tweeted this out the other day when I was watching them. This is a, a we have better players than you offense. This is not an offense. This is not like when I watch a scheme, uh, uh, right? This is not like when I watch McDaniel in Miami or the Shanahan tree in general, for the most part, you know, Shanahan in, in San Francisco, where there's guys moving all over the place and, you know, blockers are taking these different blocking angles that they're getting to from motion or from pre-snap stuff. And there's guys over here and there's guys over there and there's fakes and there's reverses. And this, that's not what's happening with this Bengals offense. This is a line it up, snap the football, and we have Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, Joe Mixon when he's healthy, and you can't stop us. If we just run it at a high level, like we're capable of doing, you can't stop it. And that, I think, is there's something to be said for that. Like, as cool as watching the McDaniel offenses are, or Kyle Shanahan's offense, and all these other gadgety style offenses is, and, I, and as a scheme guy, it's like, this is like, you know, this is the holy grail, right? To have, have offenses designed like that. As cool as that is, sometimes you don't have to reinvent the wheel when you just have good players. And I think that's where the Bengals are at at this point. I was really surprised, and I know they didn't have the best offensive performance against Cleveland. I, I haven't fully broken down the Tampa Bay game yet, but I was really surprised against Cleveland how rudimentary some of their passing concepts are, you know? And I think that the Patriots and Matt Patricia get a lot of flack for being too simple and, and high school-y and uh, basic, right? right? But the, the the Bengals are not that far removed from those the, that simplicity, but they just have much better players than the Patriots do. And, and so they run it at a very high level. And I, I think that that's, it, it's also fun. I think also to, to degree with this Bengals offense that a lot of the different things that they run are borrowing from other systems, Yes, but, but they don't, they have like six different systems, right? Like where they're like, Oh, you know, we're going to take from the Shanahan tree, which I say, I would say would be the foundation of what they are, right. Is West coast Shanahan. But we're also going to take some from the spread family because that's what Burrow and Chase ran in college. And we're also going to take some of the old school under center stuff. And it's basically a, a combination of all of it into one offense and they're just able to run it. I think because of Burrow, uh, because Burrow has the smarts, the intelligence and the the composure uh, to be able to run a bunch of different things. And that I think is also very Brady like where, yes, you know, they yes. can put them under center, they yep. can spread it out. They can run it out of this formation, that formation, this personnel grouping, that personnel grouping and and Burrow will put the pieces together once they're out at the line of scrimmage, which I think is a lot like Brady as well. Defensively, I don't think the Bengals throughout the year have gotten enough credit for how solid their defense is and how Lou Anarumo schemes it up. You're facing a Bengals team that is banged up. You're not going to have Trey Hendrickson. You're not going to have Sam Hubbard, two of their, uh, their two big star defensive ends. They are not going to be available. Joseph Asai, the second-year player out of Texas, he is a player to keep an eye on. But if you want uh, Patriot fans 
to look for the heart of the Bengals defense. DJ Reader, BJ Hill, middle of the line, both of them are having all pro seasons. Yeah, I, I first on the scheme, they as simple as they are on offense, they're the opposite on defense, right? On on defense, they they spin the dial just as much as any defense in the league that I've seen, other than maybe uh, the Patriots, uh, to be honest with you, which is to tell you that that's a very sophisticated, advanced scheme. Uh, they change the picture. Uh, they blitz from different areas. They run simulated pressure. Like they do it all. Like they do all the little tricks and gadgets and gizmos. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, obviously they do the drop eight stuff, which they did against Kansas city. I don't know if they'll drop eight against the Patriots. They probably don't need to, uh, but they do all that stuff against, you know, the better passing teams as well in the league. I'm sure they did it some against Brady uh, on Sunday. And uh, a lot of that stuff, I think, is the opposite of their offense, where defensively they might not feel like their personnel is elite. And so they were able to go on this run last year, for example, by smoke and mirrors a lot of the time on defense. And I'm giving them credit for that. I'm not trying to take shots at players on defense. I follow that. And the other side, you know, the other side of it, you mentioned uh, DJ Reader, who watching that Browns game and watching some of their past games on uh, over the weekend, uh, he's one of the best defensive tackles I've seen all year uh, on tape. I mean, this guy is absolutely fantastic in every way and he's got power i think his lateral ability to move across the line of scrimmage and uh you know run guys down from behind or or get all the way from like the a gap or the nose all the way out to the sideline and make tackles out there is rare uh he is an absolute force and you look at this patriots offensive line they've been weaker at tackle i, I would say than interior line this year uh, but the line hasn't been perfect by any means uh for long stretches of the season so he's somebody that will be in my key matchups and uh, someone they have to take care of because I think the Patriots are going to want to run the football a little bit on Saturday build off the 200 yards they rush for against the Raiders and try to obviously keep the the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands and win time of possession so I think there will be a lot of elements of that I think for the Patriots defense against uh, Burrow this will be a lot like the Bills game uh, I believe where they just they try to get some, they try to win some rounds, right? Like you're not going to win all the rounds, but if you can get an interception here, a strip sack there, a force a punt, you know, maybe win four drives, five drives, you know, something like that. I think they're going to feel pretty good. And then it will be ball control possession on offense. We are not going to see Matthew Judon in coverage. Are we this week? We're going to actually see Matthew Judon getting after the quarterback and Christian Barmore first game back. 35 snaps, I believe it was. Uh, yeah. he, I love Christian Barmore, and he is a huge player for Bengals to get to know Saturday. Yeah, he played well, I thought, in his return. Looked good, looked healthy, looked strong. Uh, so I think that's a good thing for the Patriots. Judon dropped into coverage nine times uh, on su- Sunday against the Raiders. I, I think it felt a lot more because a lot of it was on third down, right? So they're dropping him off in third down. Now, I like the the theory of what they're doing, which is uh, they're running these creepers or these simulated pressures where the idea is, is that the tackle has to account for Judon, whether he's dropping or rushing, the tackle is going to set out to him regardless, right? So that takes the tackle away from the rest 
of the pass rush. And what they're doing is, is they're dropping Judon and then blitzing Juwan Bentley mostly up the middle. Like and, a zone blitz sort of. Right. And then the, what's happening is the line is sliding out to Judon and the, the pressure is coming from a different direction. Right. And then there's nobody to pick up Bentley. So it's, it's a fun scheme. It's a sound uh, way of doing it. And I think what they've mostly done is they've turned Judon into a decoy. Right. They basically just said, all right, if you're going I think to the Bengals will settle for that, uh, Evan, if if you want to turn one of your best players into a yeah. decoy, the Bengals are going to sign up for that every day. Yeah. So it's, you know, they're saying, OK, if you're going to chip them, if you're going to slide the protection that way, if you're going to do different tricks that offenses have to deal with an elite pass rusher, uh, we're just going to use them as a decoy and we're going to trust our blitz. We're going to trust Josh Uche on the other side uh, to win his one on one and to get home and create a pass rush. And I think at times it's worked and it worked effectively against the Raiders for most of the game. But I think what you see is towards the end of the game, especially in that that final drive that the Raiders had the football in the two-minute drill, good players make good plays in big moments, right? And and when Judon is basically out of rhythm from rushing the passer and isn't really a part of the passing game plan as much because they're doing these different sim pressures and dropping him off and things like that, when they need a play with one minute to go in the fourth quarter, uh, he he's not he's not a part of it. Right. And that I think is a massive uh, indictment of what they're doing to a degree. And I'd also say on the very last play of the game, uh, the, or the, not the very last play of the game, the Keelan Cole touchdown. Yes. Josh Uche, for some reason, isn't on the field. I don't know why, but he plays the entire series, the entire drive. And on that play, they subbed him off for Anthony Jennings for some reason. Maybe he was gassed. Maybe he got dinged up on the play before. It's something I, I hope that I can ask him uh, this week. But they took their second best pass rusher off the field in the biggest moment of the game, which really didn't do them any favors either. So th- that is, uh, I think, a, a big question mark or big coaching uh, you know, question mark as well. Um, but I agree with you that in in on the whole, uh, they have to find. You know, Judah had one hurry in this game. Yeah, it's not. That's they need not to what find, you expect from Matthew Judon. Yeah, and I know last year a lot of people are saying, "Well, he faded down the stretch last year." Remember Chandler Jones used to do this all the time too, where yes. he'd have like ten sacks in the first ten games, and then they wouldn't hear from him again. Uh, I don't. I hope that Judon isn't isn't in that similar mold as Chandler Jones or old, you know, young career Chandler Jones. But the last two seasons, the numbers at least have not been there for Matthew Judon down the stretch. He's had great first 13, 14 games of the year. And in the last four or five games of the year, he's faded and they need to find a way to get him back uh, to where he was, you know, to start the year in the, over the last two seasons. Cause he's, like I said, when when they it's third down, second down, third down, game is on the line, and you need a rush, you need a play, you need the the rush to get home. That that needs to be your guy, right? Number nine needs to be the guy that's in the backfield, and right now he hasn't been. As I always caution Bengal fans or anybody watching the Patriots after a game like Sunday, beware of Bill Belichick, beware of the Patriots, and Bengal fans know the history. They've never won at Gillette Stadium. So they know they're going into a place that has been truly a house of horrors. It was the site of On to Cincinnati in 2014. 
And I remember that game 43-17 extremely well. You never count out a Belichick team, even at this point of the year, coming off a hideous loss. They're 7-7. Seven and seven. We know the story. The Bengals, 10-14. and 14. They are certainly playing not only for uh, first place in the AFC North. They have got an outside chance, Evan, if they win out to become the number one seed. If Kansas City trips up along the way, they will be the number one seed. That's what you know, a lot of Bengals players have told me, uh, including DJ Reader after the game again on uh, Sunday night in Tampa. We still want that number one seed. So there was a lot on the line uh, in Trags Bowl on Saturday afternoon, one o'clock at Gillette Stadium. I cannot wait to get back there to see all of my old friends, including the one and only Evan Lazar. He does a great job covering the uh, Patriots 22, right? Patriots22 on Patriots.com. You can follow him on Twitter at EZLazar, all one word. There's nobody, and I mean this from the bottom of my football heart, there is no one that does a better job in football breaking down film than Uh, one Evan Lazar, and it is a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you. Yes, uh, Bengals fans, I, I do a scouting the opponent article every single week. So this this week it'll be scouting the Bengals, obviously, where I break down a lot of the schematic stuff of the opponent and the chess match and X's and O's. So if you want to uh, give that a read, it usually comes out on Thursdays. Um, so it'll be up on you know Thursday through through the weekend, and that piece will be. 90% about the Bengals. So that that's all about their schemes and their X's and O's and their key players and stuff like that. He is Evan Lazar. I'm Mike Petralia Trags. Thanks so much for watching this episode of the Jungle Roar podcast.